Blog Talk Radio. Then 
I guess we're, we're going to just play into that, uh, in that narrative, but Hey, let's just talk about it and call it what it is and, and say, uh, what the hell were you doing? Kellen Marte last night in, uh, Adam Lynn, why don't you two guys just, uh, cost us, I don't know, the season, my God, what in God's green earth was that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know what, what in God's green earth, what they were doing. I do know that today <laughs> they won today and, um, uh, the the Orioles are losing right now. I guess they're, uh, you know, Paul, you'll keep me updated on everything about that. But, I mean, right now it, it's getting to a point. If the Orioles lose one more game and if Detroit loses another game, you're looking at the Mariners getting into the playoffs if they win out, if they win out. But they have to win out. That's what I'm saying. They have to win out when their last four games against the A's Oh, my gosh, Paul. I've never felt this much anxiety about a baseball team since, uh, geez, when I was in college 15 years ago. You know what? It was so odd is that 15 years ago, uh, well, should, well, let's back up and say 1995 was really the first time as a baseball fan that we, you know, again, for those that were alive back then. My God, I, I get older. I don't even know what the hell's going on. But yeah. the, the, fa- the fact of the matter was is that that ride was so magical because it – we never lost those types of games. We, we never, we were the team that made the magic happen at the end to win. And we were usually down in the ninth and we would somehow hit a Doug strange, you know, two run shot to, to win a game or, uh, you know, Griffey or, or Tino. I mean, those were the days when magic happened every night. It was so unbelievable. It was so unbelievable. And, and now it's, it's the opposite. It's kind of like, we either crush a team and it's like there's no draw, or uh, we go out and pull out of Linda Marte. And and you know what? It just it just it hurt. It, that those are so painful. Those types of games. Last night's game was so painful that I had to turn the channel. I could not watch the rest of the game. And call me whatever you want to name you want to call me. I could not watch the rest of the game. Well, I mean, I, I would go back and equate that to the middle game of the Twins series where they lost that game and I was just like oh my gosh I mean I my heart literally broke I I was just like because every game means that so much right now and for them to lose a game in this stretch it's just like it it is devastating it's absolutely just terrible and for them to win today and bounce back and of course Baltimore's fortunes which again Paul you'll update us here in just a bit about that I, I hope to God Baltimore loses tonight if they do the Mariners are back I mean all they have to do is they have to sweep this series and Baltimore loses one more. And let's just put it this way. If Baltimore has a four game winning streak in them, I mean, chances are that Mariners have a better odds with what they can do, but man, I mean, every loss, I mean, it's just like so painful. I mean, if the Mariners don't get into the playoffs this year, it's going to be because of, you know, again, gaffes by, you know, like you mentioned with Lind and of course Marte, but, Man, I mean, right now they kind of control their own destiny. I think they they can do it. I, re, I mean, if they can, they've had the age number all year. We have, and knock on wood, which I'm going to do right now. If you can hear that, I'm actually knocking on wood. Um, we have had their number, uh, but this is this is such a tough situation because it, you know, look, it, it, it's not just how we do. We don't control any of this. All we can do is control going out and winning our own games. But even if we win all our games, it doesn't mean we're going to make it because the rest, these other two teams that are in front of us 
have the, uh, the ability to dictate their own uh, uh, chance of making the playoffs. So, so look, the, the future here, we have no idea, but we just got to keep winning. And we know this much. I can tell you right now is a, if they lose any of the four games, the only, I mean, the only smallest of slivers of a chance, they only got one game they could possibly lose out of four. If they lose one game, there's a sliver of a chance. I'd say their odds are 5%. They make the playoffs. If they, if they lose one game, that's how important it is that even if they win, because you have two teams in front of you and right now, and I'll just say it, the, the, the Detroit Tigers are now up three to one on the Cleveland Indians. That sucks. And the, uh, the, the good news, though, uh, on the other flip side, is that the Blue Jays uh, still hold a 2 nothing lead over the Orioles, and they're playing in Toronto. Um, both, both games in the, the middle, bottom of the sixth, uh, Blue Jays, and the bottom of the – or top, top, looks like top of the, top of the uh, fourth uh, for the uh, uh, Cleveland-Detroit uh, game. Um, okay, but here's the thing. I'm going to go back, and I've I got to stress how – the importance of managing. And I know that we've been up and down a little bit on uh, Scott's service, but I got to say some things right now that might, might, might be a little harsh. Okay. Uh, but let's go back to that twins game. The twins game you have, uh, for, what was it? First and second, first and second, no outs. And you're down. And the, the, they have, uh, I believe it was uh, Marte or Martine were up at the plate. And it was an obvious for me. It's an obvious, obvious. Get the, you've got to get the runs over. I don't care what the guy at the plate can do. You've got to get the runs over. Now, what happened was, oh, let me back up. Seeger, Seeger was at the plate. Seeger was at the plate, and this is why it's so important. Seeger is a, is a left-handed hitter, and he's a pull hitter, which means they were shifted over to the right side, but they can't really because you got first and second. Well, what ends up happening is Seeger Seeks hits a nubber right down the third baseline where the guy's able to actually pull off a miraculous double play uh, and, and where the ball took him to the bag and he threw across and got the guy, you know, got Seeger at first. So you go from having first and second with no outs to having a man on second with two outs. I am a, I'm a huge staunch believer in management and how strong coaching is in the, and not only Major League Baseball, but baseball in general. It is, it is a pivotal part of the game, managing game, time, game situations. And I, I, I've always said – I've always had a problem potentially with what I see as Seeger's intelligence. I, I, I know this is harsh because I, don't, I question his intelligence. He just sounds kind of like he doesn't know what the hell's going on, okay? And I really worry about that scenario. Did – would, did Sivers say, look, I, we might even have to call a timeout to tell him the exact situation to make sure he knows what he has to do here? Because, again, we know we're going to lose games. It happens. It's Major League Baseball, 162-game season. But when these games are so freaking important to, to let a situation like that go, I'm sorry. I blame that on the manager. I blame it on the player, but I also blame it on the manager because it's their job to make sure that player understands the situation and then how to react in it. And it was the worst of worst potential, you know, possibilities that, that took place. And the manager has to out coach sometimes his own player to make sure that that potential situation doesn't occur. It was, it was horrible. And, I, you know, again, I, I'm really, I have had a hard time with a lot of potential moves by Scott service this year. Um, but it's still something that has to be looked at. And, 
I, I'd love to get your opinion on this, Tim, because I, I, I do blame that a lot of that on the manager, believe it or not. Well, no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, like looking at the whole thing, what they're, what this whole year is, is him being, and this is my biggest thing. You've known this for years, Paul, since we've been doing this show. My thing is loyalty with managers and players. And it, that bothers the crap out of me. I mean, I look at Ned Yost, and they're not, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs this year, Kansas City. But he's not really loyal to his players. He'll he'll make a knee jerk reaction. Same thing with, uh, you know, other ball clubs. I mean, B- Bucky, uh, <clears throat> gosh, I don't, I don't want to say Jacobson, but uh, <laughs> not Bucky Dent. Uh, good Lord, the, the the coach, yeah, Show Showalter with the uh, with the Orioles. He does the same thing. He basically does a knee jerk reaction. Um, former players thing with me is Scott Service is that, you know, I can name five games this year, five to ten games this year that he kept, um, you know, guys in like Seashack um, and, of course, Diaz in way too long. I mean, last night for or the night before, excuse me, for them to leave in Diaz for as long as he did, and, and if it wasn't for Cano hitting that home run in the 11th inning and, and of course, Vincent saving the game, I mean, they would their season would be over. And – that's my thing is that your loyalty to your guys, I mean, you have to think playoff stretch right now. I mean, that's the thing with service. I think that, that you know, the loyalty thing is, is he has to look past that. Like, okay, well, I have to manage a team and I have to get these guys to a playoff spot. But, I, you know, I can't be too loyal because, you know, if, if crap's going to hit the fan, then I have to make other moves. Because look how well Evan Scribner is doing right now. Look how well even Nick Vincent's doing right now down the stretch. And, for me, I think about this, and leaving a guy in way too long, you know, when he's struggling, that's going to cost your team. And unfortunately with the Mariners, had Service really made, made, made a, a conscious decision just to look at, like, his roster and go, okay, well, look, okay, I need to bring somebody else in during this situation because my guy's struggling. The Mariners right now would be in the driver's seat right now, and they probably would have clinched his playoff spot. It's just unfortunate just because, again, something – and that's the thing I hate about baseball. It's unwritten rules, loyalty, everything that you see about baseball. I mean, you have to think outside the box. And, and I mean, with service, I think he has a big flaw about trusting his players way too much. Well, there's some good news, Tim. Our, our old friend, Barry Roy, has now joined us. He's woken up probably for his uh, early uh, 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 you know, shot uh, he's going to have to get done down at the bakery uh, for uh, their muffins that they're making. I heard they got to make some right. great muffins down there in the Tri-Cities. But, Barry, you're on with us. Talk to us, Goose. What do you, what do you think? Have you been listening? What, what's, what's, what, do, what do you think about what's going on with this M's team? I think, well, I mean, I, I kind of agree a little bit. And, and of course, uh, good evening to you, you fine gentleman, you. Uh, but, uh, number one, I, I agree the Mariners have a lot of squandered uh, lost chances um, where, you know, blown saves. Uh, they're, they're running and uh, getting bases with runners in scoring position. Uh, there are just opportunities that they haven't taken advantage of. Um, crazy to think about it, guys, but the Mariners – uh, remember all those years ago, the Mariners wouldn't be able to hit themselves, hit their way out of a of a wet paper bag in terms of home runs. They're number two in the in in all of baseball and the number of home runs they've hit. Uh, it's just a complete and look, they still play at the same uh, field as they as they've played at for you know many years now, and that's Safeco Field, where apparently you can't hit home runs, you can't hit the ball. 
but the Mariners actually not a very not a bad offense. But the problem is the biggest glare for me. Okay, blown saves are going to happen. Cshek went through a real struggle there for a while. That cost us some games with with wins that really were all gift wrapped and ready for us. But blown saves happen. But the biggest telling stat for me is going to be uh, that their lack of, of, of being able to get that clutch base hit with runners in scoring position. I mean, uh, since last, I mean, just recently, last week in, in Minnesota, halfway through that game, uh, all the way, you know, through part of the series in, in uh, Houston, they were 0 for 20 with runners in scoring position. Uh, those are in, and you lost a game there to the Twins. Uh, and then you lost a game there to the Houston Astros. These were wins that you needed to have. Uh, because these were wins that would put you over the top, and that's just talking recently. Um, runners hitting with runners in scoring position uh, has been a real Achilles heel for the Seattle Mariners. I think they're hitting 250 something on the year uh, going into today's ball game with runners in scoring position. Guys, that's absolutely putrid. It could be worse, but still, that number is putrid. They've got to be so much better at that. And when they're at their best, they're hitting 277, 280 with runners in scoring position. This is a game where if you fail seven out of ten times, you're a Hall of Famer. Uh, the Mariners couldn't even be a, a 275 hitting ball club with runners in scoring position, and that cost them runs, and that, that cost them games just as much as those blown saves. I look at that stat as a telling stat for this team, and that's an area they've got to get better at, and eventually I think that they will. Well, let me go ahead and actually talk about this real quick because, I, I mean, this Oakland series, I mean, like, we, we talked about how big that Toronto series was. And, of course, I mean, how abysmal for Mariner fans. I, I can't, you know, I, I should save this for my rant later, but I, I just want to say for Mariner fans who did not attend that game, you got to be ashamed of yourselves because you have, you let your own, like, stadium be overridden by Blue Jay fans. And you know what? You know, there's a reason why they sold tickets for $8 a piece. I mean, I oh, God. There, there's reasons that for that, but at the same time, hey, guys, there's something that you just – look, a lot of people jumping on the Mariners in regards to their marketing and marketing other fan bases. Baseball teams do it all the time. It's, it's You're trying to hook that other fan in, get them down to the ballpark, get them to root for that team. Uh, that's what you try to do. And it's not necessarily that they market to Canada fans to get the Blue Jays in. Look, businesses uh, – we're scooping up those those tickets uh, left and right in big bunches and selling those off. And co- corporations were coming down. They were packing those stands because they were buying them in bulk. They were buying them in bunches. They were loading up buses and bringing them down. Unfortunately, there's not much that you're going to be able to do that as, as Mariner fans. Now, granted, you could scoop up all those tickets or business entities could scoop up all those tickets before Toronto fans, local businesses – and then sell those tickets to Mariners fans. Sure, that can happen. But you can't really do much when it comes to putting a, 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 a product out there for sale, and it's a free-for-all, and then a bunch of Canadian fans scoop those up, businesses scoop those up by the hundreds, and by the thousands they scoop those tickets up. Why? Because they can disperse those, offer uh, all-inclusive packages, and go down to Seattle, watch a three-game series, root on your Blue Jays in September, we'll provide the bus ride, we'll provide the hotel, provide the game ticket for X amount of dollars, and people scoop that up. They take it, they run with it, they come down and they root on their team, and they fill up Safeco Field. This isn't new. The Toronto fans have been doing this for, for quite a few years now, 
since they've been actually good. How many people remember Toronto in town and it was a graveyard there? No Toronto fans, no Seattle fans. That's the way it was. Again, the Toronto Blue Jays fans, God bless them for their, for their, uh, their, their, their love of their team, but they're like every other fan base, and they're nothing but bandwagoners, period. I get it, man. I get it. And, and my point real quick on this, and I was trying to transition to a point where how big well, I this, apologize. This I interrupted you. No, no, you're fine. You're, you're fine. I'm just saying, like, you know, getting to a point now in this Oakland series where right now you need your fans. I mean, like, right now you're not going to have Oakland fans coming up from, from uh, you know, San Francisco and Oakland to, to really bandwagon up here in order to get to that spot. But I'm saying this series right now, how important it is. I would just say, my gosh, I mean, like, if this was, was like a Niners, like Seahawks, NFC championship game, this series right now, how important. I mean, that, that, I'm putting that on that level right now because this is your ticket to make the playoffs. I mean, I want to get your reactions on that, guys. Well, I'll jump in here real quick, and I'll, I'll totally agree with you. I mean, the, the importance level of this series is astronomical. And and we, we all have a – and this is part of the, what we had talked about six months or, geez, four or five months ago at the beginning of this season is how blessed we would be to have a very good team going – Mariners team going up a, a stretch run with the um, – with the Seahawks at the same time playing in the thick of their, their stuff. And, and, and what this, what it would mean to this city. And, and this is, this is magical stuff to have these types of dynamics with two professional teams uh, having some, you know, just, well, the Seahawks just being the Seahawks, which we're all freaking fanatical about, but the Mariners to be in this situation after so long, it is magical and we need to ride it. And that means, like you said, Tim, we, everybody needs to get the butt ready to get to the ballpark uh, this this weekend. And by the way, the Cleveland Indians just tied up the game against the Detroit Tigers. Yes. Now at yes. three, three. So I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I'm cheering. I'm cheering right now. I'm sorry. I'm happy. Go ahead. Nice little nice base knock. It's uh, first and third right now with two outs. Um, so the point is, is that yeah, people get to the ballpark. All right. And and you know what's the good news is that you're going to have a a game on Sunday where you could have the Seahawks going. And the Mariners playing for the wild card, which, by the way, there's a good chance there could be a three-way tie for the wild card. And I know that I was listening to Danny, Dave, and Moore just a, uh, a little bit ago about what the, what the scenarios are on a three-way tie. And they are nutty, uh, flat-out nutty. So, uh, but, hey, you got to get there first. And that means support from the crowd. And I'll tell you what, loud, nutty, crazy I've used nutty a couple of times tonight. Maybe I'm thinking about nuts for some reason. Maybe almonds. I don't know. I like almonds. They're good. But the, the point is we need to, to get after it as fans, and, uh, and, and I, hope, I hope we do. So that's, that's all I got for you there. Oh, well, let me tell you this, guys. You're talking about nuts. I'm eating nuts. I'm having some trail mix. Go figure that. So maybe that's why you're talking about uh, being M- nutty. M&M's, that's right. M&M's, raisins. Uh, little, oh, M&M's yeah, there's raisins. M&M's here. I think I just had an almond, and I had a peanut, and I had a cashew. <laughs> I mean, in case you want to know, we're talking the big bag Kirkland signature Costco stuff. We're, we're this is magical good stuff right here. Now, magical. Let's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, there's a lot of magic happening here, gentlemen. Uh, let's let's get <laughs> look. There is no doubt. I was at a couple of years ago uh, when the Mariners were playing for that second wild card, uh, and the Angels were in town, and I, we were doing a lot of scoreboard watching. 
The A's were a lot better. Uh, the Texas Rangers were not so good. Uh, and we were rooting for the Texas Rangers to beat the Oakland Athletics because we needed to get in. And I tell you what, I was there for that last weekend series against the, the Angels. And, and fans packed that place in droves. One thing that I hadn't seen in a long time, and it was an emotional thing for me, because you guys know how much I love baseball. Uh, I'm, I'm all in 100%, was watching people wave their rally towels at Safeco Field. Rally towels at Safeco Field. That's not something you see a lot of. Um, and so I have full faith that that's what is going to happen. It does lift the team, uh, but the guys got to go out there and they've got to perform. This is a huge weekend series, the biggest weekend series uh, that the Mariners have had. And, again, I, I think back just to a, a couple of the last homestand. What a dud, a six-game homestand, and you won two of those games and you lost four. You did not take advantage of the opportunity that was laid out in front of you. Uh, you go out on the road. Uh, you win both series on the road. So I think it was a six-game road trip. They won four out of those six games on the road trip. They're still in it. Uh, and now they've got, what, three games against the uh, – uh, four games against the Oakland Athletics. You've got to win all four of these games. You need some help. But, guys, it's the rowboat you're in. It's the oars you've been handed, and you better row the hell out of that, that boat, and you better get to where you need to go. This is an opportunity. It's a golden chance and they can't let it go. Uh, this fan base needs a, 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 a playoff berth. That's what they need. Even if it's a one-game wild-card playoff, I don't care. Let's just take that next step <clears throat> as an organization and get there. All right, guys. My, my question to you guys right now, who's the MVP down the stretch? And I got one guy right now, the MVP down the stretch. And for me, it's one guy that we never thought that he would ever just come out out of the blue, but it's Evan Scribner. For me, Evan Scribner has been lights out, nails. He's just been a guy that just came in from his, his, you know, either being called up from his injury or whatever he's been doing. But that spot relief he's been able to do in late innings, especially today, last night and the day before, I mean, like this guy has been automatic. I mean, Evan Scribner, to me, has been your MVP down the stretch. I mean, that's just my guy. Well, I, I think there's two things. Real quick, I think for the season, I think hands down, I gotta say, I gotta say it's Iwakuma. I mean, the fact is, this guy has been absolutely consistent in his starts. Let's go back to what you were asking the question of of this, this last little stretch run. I think it's kind of a tie, and it's a tie that I think is important to note. That I think both Nelson Cruz and Robbie Cano, what they've done these last you know 15 games in production, offensive production. They're carrying this team on their backs. You know, Kyle Seeger hadn't been too bad, and he, you know, he's been there alive, thank God. He's had a pulse as opposed to years gone by. But with the rest of the guys, you know, kind of in – I don't want to say being hit and miss, but definitely inconsistent. Those two, regardless of what takes place, whether, you know, you're Nelson Cruz and you, you, you know, potentially break your wrist and then hit a, hit a bomb the next pitch – or your Robinson Cano, like the last this last series in Houston, just every time we needed it, getting it done, and most of it being out on the other side of the fence when he went yard. That's the stuff that that you just you you have to have at this point of the season when your team is fighting like this tooth and nail. Uh, you need those guys to to wake up, and you need your big dogs to go speak. So that those are my two guys, and I know it, it sounds a little nutty. I just said nuts again. Ha ha. I guess I am thinking about trail mix, Barry, and I'll throw it to you. 
Well, guys, this might seem a little, I don't know. I, I think about this team. What has been the biggest issue with this team for a long time? Look at it. Just, let's just go back one year ago. And you look at the, uh, the bullpen was absolutely atrocious. Absolutely terrible. One of the, and that was supposed to be a strong suit. They cleaned house uh, in a lot of aspects. So my MVP down the stretch, the bullpen has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm going with bullpen coach Mike Hampton. This guy has gotten his players ready to go night in and night out. Nick Vincent has been lights out. Um, there have been players down there that have just been really, really good. c uh has, has really turned the corner since losing the, the closers role. Uh, you know, Edwin Diaz has had his faults, and he's given up and, and blown some saves, especially recently. Um, but you've got to give a tip to the cap. You didn't know what kind of bullpen you were going to have. But Mike Hampton, this bullpen has been, for the majority of this year, one of the better bullpens in baseball. And Mike Hampton, you've got to tip your cap to him. He gets his guys ready to go night in and night out. And it's not one of those things that you have to hit the panic button. You just believe that eventually, somehow, some way, they're going to get it done. So my MVP down the stretch goes to Mike Hampton. The bullpen has been absolutely lights out. So <clears throat> let me mention a stat to you guys. Uh, Evan Scridner has a 0.048 ERA right now. He today mm-hmm. against – so what, what happened today, he inherited from Nick Vincent uh, two runners on base with no outs. He, he got the side out, you know, today. And then basically he's just been doing that, like, I mean, every start he's came up since he, he got back. I mean, and for me, my case for Nick Vincent, or not Nick Vincent, but uh, Scribner, has just been the fact that you can have a solid guy that can get to Diaz, and he's there. And unfortunately, with a lot of the losses this year, you've had the opportunity with, with guys that just haven't been able to pat a lead, like even Nick Vincent earlier in this year. <laughs> you know, I think right now, I, I, I think Scribner deserves a lot of credit, but you, you're right, Barry. I, I do believe in Mike Hampton and what he's been able to do with, with, the, with this bullpen. But I think Scribner has really done a hell of a job uh, when he's been able to go in. I mean, like his stuff is filthy right now. I mean, down the stretch, that's a guy you need in order to get into the playoffs. So, that's my last point about Scribner. I mean, I want to get your thoughts about him just in general. I mean, Paul, I know you don't have a whole lot to say, but I'm sure, Barry, you do. Evan Scribner is a player uh, that I liked even when, when he was with the Oakland Athletics. This guy has always been uh, around the plate. Uh, he's always been, uh, as you called him earlier, nails. Um, he's always was, did well against the Mariners as well when he pitched for Oakland. Uh, this is a guy when the Mariners acquired him, uh, signed him in free agents. I think maybe they traded for him. Uh, but when they were able to acquire a guy like an Evan Scribner, this was a guy that I looked at to be a big part of what our bullpen was able to do. I like the makeup of this guy. I like his delivery. I like uh, how he commands the strike zone. Uh, and then he got hurt. And so you're wondering, okay, are you going to ever see this? That was one guy who was super disappointed uh, that had gotten injured and wasn't able to contribute to the bullpen uh, throughout the year uh, until now down the stretch, fresh arm, a guy that, that, that throws well, again, commands the strike zone well, um, knows how to pitch, especially in clutch situations. I really like Evan Scribner. I like him a lot um, because Evan Scribner was just one of those players that I always liked when he was with Oakland. I always admired him, and I always was like, man, I'd love to get that guy in our bullpen. And the way that he's throwing right now, that's the exact reason why I wanted him because the guy is tough, tough, tough late in ball games. He really is, and that's the bridge that you need between him and Diaz. Paul, I'll let you get your thoughts on this too. 
Well, I'll, I'll take my time to uh, give, give you guys a quick little update. Uh, bad news from Toronto. Uh, Trumbo, yeah, that's right. The same Trumbo we got rid of went yard uh, and uh, put one run up on the board. It's top of the eighth, two outs uh, with a uh, double by Alvarez and uh, now uh, Matt Whiters uh, at the dish. Uh, but there is two outs and it's a 2-0 count. I am watching GameCast. Just heads up, uh, but in the in the Cleveland Detroit game, it's all tied up, all tied up uh, with uh, two outs uh, in the bottom of the fourth. Uh, uh, Indians are trying to get out of this inning uh, with men, one man on first, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I'll just say, look, I, I, I think I think I think that the uh, Edwin Diaz is the guy I want to talk about. Maybe just I'll, I'll segue into that because he has been so good at times. And then he has been a nightmarish of biggest proportions to watch guy that it really makes you wonder what are these issues that he's going through? And I got to tell you, I got no clue. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Well, I think a guy from coming up from double a, I think, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on a kid. He's what, 22 years old. I I, I think that again, his rookie year, I, I think he's going through a lot of mental with pitchers, I mean, you go through a lot of mental lapses and this and that. I mean, Mariano Rivera, when he first came up, he went through the same type of thing. I'm not going to compare him to Rivera, but I'm just saying, when you look at a guy that 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 has that type of velocity and in, in the way that he can, you know, he has multiple pitches he can do. Um, I think you know, you know, you you can overuse the guy and. Looking over at Diaz, and I think Diaz is a hell of a player, and I think he's going to be a great closer in the future. I think right now you're putting a lot of pressure on a young guy who's 22 years old who just came out from Double A Jackson, uh, you know, to really perform. And, you know, for him to be a a closer, you're asking a lot of him. So I I think he's going through growing pains. And, you know, look, I mean, I think as years go on, I think he's going to really season to it, and I think he's going to be adjust to it. So I think right now, when it comes to Diaz, I mean, you know, look, he can be a nightmare at times, but he can also be extra dominant. But I think as he evolves in the game, he's going to be one of the best closers in the game. Barry? Let's, let's not forget, gentlemen, that this is a guy that's been a starter, 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 and they've only – he's a starter at double-A, and then they started transitioning into a closer. He hasn't been a closer for very, very long. They like his upside. But he's got to develop a third pitch, guys. He's just got to develop a third pitch. Um, I think right. a lot of what you see with him, uh, he's got a lot of movement with his fastball so he can get away with location, mistakes in location. Uh, but he doesn't have that third pitch. Um, and so he becomes really, really predictable, which is why they don't want to use him too much or hitters are really going to key on him. That's why you see him pitching a couple of games in a row and he gets a night or two off. And they kind of, and again, a tip of the cap to Mike Hampton to get his players ready and have the Mariners in the thick of the race with four, but four games left to go. Um, and so, what truthfully, um, you know, Diaz has to to pitch more uh, in in non non major league situations. And and what I mean by that is he's got to go to winter ball. He's got to go uh, do A, B, and C. He's got to have a good. Uh, he's got to develop a third pitch. And, and get ready to, to, to throw that pitch starting spring training. Um, I like Diaz. I like Diaz a lot. I like his upside. But the reason he's so maddening <clears throat> is because he doesn't have that third pitch. He just doesn't have that third pitch that he can throw that is going to allow him to be dominant. Uh, so he has to rely on changing eye level, and he has to rely on a lot of movement with his fastball. 
um, at this point in time. And if he, if he puts it in the right location, it makes it tough to hit. But when he misses, he misses, and there's why he's off, because he misses his location, and the hitters are, are waiting for it. They just are waiting for it. Let's not forget, a pitcher that throws 97, 98 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, you don't have to hit the ball all that hard. You just got to get the head of the bat around, and you're going to hit that. The pitcher's done all the work for you at that point. So developing his third pitch is going to be key for him this offseason uh, and moving forward uh, into next year. I expect him to be a lot better. Whether he starts the season with the Mariners, that remains to be seen, but expect the Mariners to somehow go acquire themselves um, a closer of some sort um, so they can continue to develop Diaz uh, down in the minor league. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And <clears throat> last but not least, guys, um, your predictions on this final four game series on here. Do the Mariners win fourth straight, or do they lose one, or what? What happens? Paul, go ahead and first. I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I just they've been so unpredictable at home. They have been inconsistent up the yin yang, and I mean, I, I, I have to think they're going to lose one game. I mean, I really do. I mean, I just, I don't. I don't think the odds are good that they go four and zero. So, I think I think it's going to be a three and one. And I I think truly I think it's going to end up in a three way tie with between the Tigers and the and the and the Orioles. Oh my! So that that's what I'm thinking is going to happen this weekend. Uh, All right, me, gentlemen. I I think it comes down to um, the the bad part about this entire series at home against the Oakland Athletics is you're not going to throw James Paxton uh, in this series at all. Uh, and he has been, hands down, your best starting pitcher, I think. I think he's been better than Iwakuma, especially in the second half of the season. Um, and while Iwakuma has been, um, has been uh, con- uh, consistent there times, James Paxton's been absolutely dominant. Look at today's start against the, the, the uh, always tough Houston Astros. Um, so not having James Paxton throw, uh, that's a blow. That's tough to take. Uh, but that does set it up for a possible uh, play-in game or a wild-card scenario for James Paxton to take the ball in that situation. I think another thing that doesn't bode well for Seattle, and I hate to say it, Felix Hernandez is not Felix Hernandez. Um, and he just hasn't been. There's so much mileage on that arm of his um, that he is he's not a front-line number one starter, in my opinion. He's just not. He is the king, and that may not set well with a lot of people because he's been the guy, but you have to realize age and mileage on your arm is going to change a pitcher. There are times when Felix looks like he labors out there. Uh, yesterday, a uh, prime example against the Houston Astros, he had a 4-2 to two lead, a couple of errors. Felix, in, in, in his heyday, would button down, be nailed, and get out of that inning uh, the next batter, but he couldn't get out of that inning, and he just couldn't get out of the inning. He six more runs, came across the score, and before you knew it, the game was blown wide open. I think the biggest detriment in this series, again, James Paxton's not going to pitch. Number two, you don't know what Felix you're going to get. Are you going to get the Felix that gets that leaves things up in the zone, uh, or are you going to get the Felix that is that is money, that is nails, that is spot on? That's the question. You just don't know his spots. In every other start has seemed too volatile to say that Felix Hernandez is the king. Felix Hernandez is going to shut you down. You have to hope that, especially if Sunday becomes one of those games that becomes a must win for Seattle. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I mean, I hear you 100%. I, I think my thing with, with the Mariners on this whole, like, I, Ty Walker starts tomorrow, 
And then, um, actually, excuse me, Miranda starts tomorrow, and then you got Ty Walker, and then, of course, you got uh, Iwakuma, and then, of course, the King. So, I mean, I, you know, as of late, Miranda has been pitching. Hey, guys, real quick, just in retrospect, talk about the trade between the Orioles and the Mariners about getting Miranda for Miley. I think that really paid off really well. What do you guys think about that? Well, I agree with you. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, the the letting go of uh, Trumbo didn't, but uh, you know, Miley uh, has just been a train wreck, and uh, and Miranda has has given us some quality innings. So, I mean, I think it's a it's a no brainer. Uh, yeah, guys, younger, left handed. I know Miley's left handed, but the key there is younger. Um, really like Miranda. Like the trade when it actually happened. A lot of people said, "Oh, we're throwing in the towel." No, we're not. Not for a guy that has an ERA over five at that point in time when the trade uh, took place and was extremely volatile, and you didn't know what you were going to get from start to start. So I like the deal. I think Moran has been a surprise uh, for Seattle, but the question is, can he handle the stress of tomorrow night and, and, the implica- and everything that is at stake? He's pitched really well over the course of the last four to five starts. Let's hope he can conti- continue that. Um, and uh, but just keep the ball down in the zone. Don't. The, the problem is if you start if you if you leave it up, they're going to hit you hard. Keep the ball low in the zone, and I think that, that Miranda should be all right. But I love the trade. I love the upside. Uh, Ariel Miranda can be very very good for Seattle moving forward. Yeah, I'm going to go on, all in right now. You guys made your predictions. I, I'm going to go in. The Mariners are going to win four straight. I think they are. I, I think right now, I think it means a lot to them. I think, um, you know, I, I look. I mean. I just see everybody like going into this series right now and how much it means to them. I, I just think it's going to with the crowd because I know the crowd's going to be there. I just think the Mariners are going to win four straight, and it really it, it's it's on these other teams to lose. And I think it's just going to be a magical thing where they go in and get that last wild card spot. I really just I just think so. I, I think the Mariners are really going to win the last four games um, because they have the A's number. Uh, they just do this year. Any knock other on wood. Year, they don't. Knock, knock on yeah. some wood, please, Tim. So, but we'll see. We'll see. But I just think that uh, I think it's going to happen this year, and and uh, we'll see. But I mean, again, I mean, I, it, we're so late into the season right now. Seahawks football—they're on game number four, going into the Jets this year. And the last time you saw a Mariners team going in this far in contention—I mean, you haven't seen this in such a long time. So. Really, it's just it's just an amazing thing what's been going on with the Mariners, and you know, look, I mean, I, I you know, what I will say right now, I, I just think they're going to win every game. I, I just think they're going to win the win out, and we'll see what happens. It just matters what happens with tonight's game and with uh, you know Detroit and of course uh, <clears throat> um, Cleveland, and of course uh, what happens with Baltimore. So I think I think. I'm going to go ahead and actually really give really positive vibes about this. Guys, give your last uh, reactions about that. And then, Barry, I know you have to go, but I want to get your reaction about what's going to happen with New York this week uh, in with Seattle and, of course, C.J. Spiller being with, with the, the Seahawks. Well, here's the question. I, and just everyone knows the, 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 the Mariners in a, in a potential tie between – the uh, Tigers and the Ori- Orioles at the end of the season, if there's a three-way tie for that final wild card, 
the Mariners will have the option to either play uh, two games at home or one road game. That's literally what will be put out in front of them. So here's my question to y'all. Which one would you pick? Take two home games or one road game to go to the next stage of the wild card? Thoughts, guys? Go ahead, Dave. I'm going to go two games at home. You want to have that game at home in front of your fan base. No doubt about it. You want that extra lift, and it gives you two games at home as opposed to a one-and-done on the road. So you're always going to take the two games that you can possibly get. Um, and so having to travel, pack, fly out to Detroit or wherever it is, um, and get in, get in a hotel room, not sleep in your own bed, and get to the ballpark and play a baseball game. All of that takes a toll for a team that flies more miles than any other team throughout the course of the year based upon where they're located. I would take the two games at home. You need that for your fan base. You need that for this city. uh, And you need to electrify that environment because that will bring things up to another level um, for the the, uh, home nine there. Yeah, I agree with Barry. I think two games at home. And then, you know, I I think, you know, again, the – Seattle fans are the most intense. I mean, like they always talk about, you know, Chicago, St. Louis, whatnot. But I mean, again, you know, a lot of people that have grown up to be Mariner fans and just inherited what the nightmare of being a Mariner fan is, especially with Chuck Armstrong and, and uh, Howard Lincoln through the past couple of years, you're finally in a playoff spot. You're, you're in you're finally in, and you're in a, an area where, I mean, like, this is like maybe uh, uh, what will happen next time. We don't know what's going to happen next year. We don't know what's going to happen the year after that. We don't know. And it could be another 15 years, 20 years, until the Mariners get back in the playoffs. So my thing is, yeah, I agree with Barry. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, go balls out or go home. You know, that's what I'm saying. Just I mean, That's my thing is that, you know, have the two straight home games and do it. I mean, you know, and, and if you don't have crowd part participation from fans, I, I just think, you know, at, at the same time, shame on us as fans for not showing up. But I think at the same time, you know, I, I, I know they'll be there. I, I know they will, Paul. And I just I, I, I just have this great feeling if they do have a playoff game in Seattle, just one game, it's going to be just magic. I really do. Well, I'll, I'll make this short. I actually disagree with both of you. I think this team has played amazingly on the road all year, uh, especially at the beginning of the season and then of late. We all know that record. I think this team would be maybe better off. It would be in their own head. They wouldn't have to worry about impressing the home field fans to take just the one game. Also, on pitching, it would help them out because then they could throw a Paxton out there and, and have the rest of the guys ready to go in for the, the – you know, the next game, I personally would take the one game on the road. And I know you'll disagree, you guys disagree with me, but I think it would be better for this team right now. We'll get those home games when we get to the next round. Barry, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, look, I, I don't know. I, I, I get your point, but I, I, I'm telling you, I think there's something different about a playoff atmosphere than a regular season atmosphere. Um, I've been to both, uh, and, and baseball 
baseball is such a mental game when you can get the hometown uh, home crowd behind you. Um, and I understand the pressures of playing at home, and I get the record here and the record there. I, I totally understand that. Uh, but I, I would much rather take a moment and see what that electricity is like at home and remind people that, hey, this is a baseball city before it's a football city. And that's the I've always, I've always believed it. Seattle's a baseball town before it's a football town. Uh, it's always been that way for me. Um, as, as much as I love the Seahawks and, and, and the 12th man, I've always believed, always, that this is a baseball town more so than a football town. Uh, and just something I've always believed, something I've always felt way down deep in my, in my gut. This town loves baseball. This town loves its Mariners, and I would love to see that on display for the entire world to see. Uh, so we'll see. We, we, we made our predictions, and we'll see what happens. I mean, that's the great thing about what's going to happen. But I, I will tell you, if the Mariners lose one more game, they are out, and in my Ooh. mind. And they're, they're gone. I mean, they're done. And, you know, you need to make sure that you went out and take care of business. And, of course, if you get to that point where you can be at Safeco Field and, and uh, do a playoff game or even – anywhere else. I mean, like the electricity in the city would just be amazing. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I know Barry, you have to go here in just a bit, but I want to talk real quick about this uh, Seahawks Jets matchup matchup coming up here. The Seahawks uh, signed uh, CJ Spiller today uh, to their active roster. Uh, He went through New Orleans and of course, Buffalo. And then now you see him joining uh, <clears throat> the ranks with Christine Mike and of course Thomas Rawls is going to be out for five day weeks and so we will see what happens with Thomas Rawls but what kind of an impact do you guys see that CJ Spiller can make for this roster well I'll tell you what I think you're really hoping that CJ Spiller turns into the next beast mode Marshawn Lynch but we got Marshawn Lynch from Buffalo uh, via trade signed CJ Spiller via free agency uh, he, he was surprised to have been cut in New Orleans I don't think I was actually that surprised um, outside of his rookie year, uh, the one good year he had in Buffalo, uh, he hasn't been that big of an impactful type of player. Um, and I believe that's because he had a lot. He, ha- he That offense at that point in time in Buffalo really went through C.J. Spiller, and he had to carry the load. And I don't think he was quite ready for that. I don't think that's the case, not here in Seattle. Um, Russell Wilson, the offense will always run through Russell Wilson's hands. Uh, Kristen Michael, uh, has shown uh, that he's grown up uh, over the course of the last three years that he's been in the league. Um, and so C.J. Spiller can come in here and he doesn't have to be the man. He just needs to be the man when he's in there and given his opportunities to play. Um, and from what I'm understanding, Seattle needs to actually use him, guys, uh, in the way that I think he's going to be good. And that's spread him out, catch passes out of the backfield, uh, some slants, um, some tosses. This isn't a guy that's going to run through the tackles for you. Uh, and fight for extra yardage. This is a guy that's going to try and get around the edge. I think you've got to utilize those talents uh, and, and what his God-given ability, and that a lot of it is speed. Uh, he's got good hands, and, and I think you've got to utilize that as well. I think he's, uh, he's an upgrade over an Alex Collins, uh, who they were running a lot on third down. Uh, C.J. Procise, of course, when he comes back, I think he's going to uh, get more the majority of the snaps over a C.J. Spiller. The C.J. Spiller signing doesn't excite me. Uh, necessarily. It's not flashy. Uh, it's depth. It's, it's improvement uh, from what they've had before because they know that, hey, we need another guy on this team. Rawls is out. Uh, C.J. Spiller is now in. 
and I just hope that he can hold on to the football, stay healthy, uh, and the Seahawks use him correctly. As for the game against New York, I really don't like Seattle's chances. Now it's banged up Russell Wilson. You don't know what you're going to get with him in his sprained MCL. Um, you know, it, it just it just doesn't – that defensive front for the Jets is pretty damn good, guys. It's pretty good. Um, and with a, with a banged up Russell Wilson, truthfully, what I would rather see is I'd rather see Boykin start uh, against the Jets uh, and you hope for the best. You hope you can squeak out a win. You rely on that defense that you've re- relied on for a long time uh, here in Seattle because that defense has been the bread and butter what Seattle football has been for a long time. You rely on that defense to create turnovers and create opportunities for themselves and for the offense as well. Um, and, and I think you really just hope that Boykin can come in, be a game manager, get the job done, and win the game. Uh, for you on the road. If not, you fall to two and two. Russell Wilson didn't play. There was no risk of uh, re-injuring himself, and he gets three weeks to basically heal up and get better. Um, and, and for what is going to be a very grueling stretch run for a team that that would at that point in time be two and two if they were happen to lose this game. Um, I don't like their chances in New York. It's always tough to travel and head east. It's going to be tougher with a Russell Wilson that is not playing at 100%. Guys, that's just the way I look at it. Um, but I think his defense is better than the Jets' offense. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I really still think – I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, uh, but I think Seattle's going to be able to pull it out on the road. And it's going to be a defensive grudge match, but I like Seattle's defense better than the Jets' offense, and I think that wins. Ball. Oh, well, I, I didn't know if you guys wanted to say something else. Hey, I, I got to tell you, this is uh... – Are you there? I guess he's speechless. He is speechless on this whole thing. He's just like, you know what? I'm going to be speechless on this whole thing. Um, <laughs> let me kick in. Paul, you there or are you gone? Okay, well, let me go ahead and do my my game preview of this whole thing. Um, so, with Ryan Fitzpatrick passing for six interceptions last week, I, you know, I think for me – Yes, the Jets have a really good uh, defensive front, and I get that. And I, I, I like the Jets. I mean, when it comes to a lot of things, I mean, Brandon Marshall's really good. Thing is, is that, you know, again, the matchups one-to-one, I really do like Seahawks in this when it comes to defense versus offense. It's going to be a very low-scoring game. I do agree with you on that. But I do think at the end of the day, even if they do have Russell, Russell Wilson being out versus uh, Boykin, I think that, you know, at the same time, I think they're going to create opportunities in order to score some points. So I, I really do like the Seahawks in this game. And, you know, look, I mean, I, I'm going to I'm going to have a 10-point win on this game. I got Seahawks winning this game 21-10 to 10 on this game. Paul? I'm back. Sorry about that, guys. The uh, cord on my mic popped out. That happens to me a lot. Anyways, uh yeah, so this game is interesting because, as, as I was, I had alluded to before I realized my mic wasn't working, the, the injury with what took place uh, this last weekend, as we saw Russell Wilson starting to look much more like himself, and then the sprained MCL occurring, that was probably one of the grossest looking, I mean, not gross, but just, I felt, I think I felt the injury. It, it hurt so bad. And I was like, there's no way. That's a broken ankle. He's done, 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 and done. And how he's in the situation where he could even possibly be looking at the ability to not only walk after that, but then now play this week, apparently, and this is word out of the camp today, 
he not only practiced fully, but he looked fine. Like they all, and again, we know that he's not going to tell them apparently, you know, he, he just drinks his recovery water and sits in the back. Uh, but he is, he, he's obviously an amazing specimen, athletic specimen. And for him to now be in a position to sprain his MCL. And that's, there's, I mean, that's tough, tough damage to deal with guys. And then with the ankle on his right ankle, as opposed to his left knee, those are two very important parts of your throwing motion. You use those, those, those you push your right ankle, the right hander, and you, you plant on your, on your, with your left foot, but your knee takes a lot of that uh, bracing of, of your torso when it turns. It, it, this is this is going to be unbelievable if he can actually look somewhat normal. I would I would be one of those guys that says I'd prefer if he probably sits this week and let Boykin to see what happens. I think the defense is playing fantastic. I think the Jets are beat up beyond belief. I mean, uh, Decker's uh, getting the MRI done. Uh, you know, Brandon Marshall's already banged up. Uh, they are not a team that offensively scares me in any way, shape, or form. Their defense is tough. Uh, and they are good. They're very well coached. But uh, I do think that this team rises to occasions, especially when they get to go on a big stage and go play in New York. I think it's a game they can win. With Boykin, I think it's a tough game to win. With Russell, I think they will win it. The question is, can we get out of town before without any other injuries, get to the bye week, let everyone get healed up, and then have our boy Fetty come back, even though, by the way, he did practice today, limited work, did practice. But can we get everybody healthy and get, get, get ready for the Cardinals, uh, and the rest of the folks that we're going to have to beat up on in the middle of the season. Yeah, last but not least, guys, I mean, about Jimmy Graham being involved in the game, he had 100 yards receiving last week. And, and Barry, I, I know that you mentioned this last year about having him involved and how important that was, about him being such a focal factor with this offense. I mean, how big is that? And, of course, with Doug Baldwin, I mean, last week, you know, having 164 yards receiving, just mention the fact that how great that, that, that Jimmy Graham has just been as a blade. I mean, he shows no signs of being injured. He looks great. Oh, look, let's talk as, as of late, guys. I mean, we, we can use that term loosely. This is really his first real action that he's had. I mean, 12 snaps the first week, 55 uh, the next week after that, and he played, you know, a majority of the game uh, this past Sunday. This is a guy coming off of an injury. Uh, he looked good. Um, he caught passes down the middle. He fought for that, that catch that uh, Eric Reed basically picked off, and he wrestled it away from him for, for a fantastic first down. This is a guy that I feel like he's out to prove something uh, because he hears the naysayers. He hears the doubters. Uh, he may see some people on the Twitter feed uh, that tag him and say, you know, I wish we had Max Unger. Uh, you know, and how great would Max Unger look on this offensive line right now, even if we had Jimmy Graham? Uh, you know, we'd be a much better football team, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, Jimmy Graham was able to show last week that he's healthy, that he's hungry, that he can be that dominant uh, tight end in this league. And, uh, you know, it, and he's just got to continue to progress. I think it was very important for Russell Wilson to get him involved in the game and get him involved in the game early and often. He did that. Uh, and then Russell got hurt, and then it just kind of went away at that point in time. But six catches, uh, you know, 100 yards and a touchdown for Jimmy Graham, that's pretty impressive for a guy that got the majority of the snaps, uh, you know, in his last week three games. A very impressive game for him. The question is, can he maintain that? Can he continue that? 
And the next thing is for them as well, let's say Russell Wilson can't go, is Jimmy Graham going to rise to the occasion uh, and be that uh, even a better tight end for Trevon Boykin uh, than he is for Russell Wilson? I think that's important. How the team responds to Boykin, uh, the way they respond to Wilson, that is going to be key if Russell Wilson doesn't play against the New York Jets. But I like what Jimmy Graham did, uh, but I'm not going to say this guy's 100% back. He's dominant. He's the best tight end in the league. Not going to do that. He's got to prove that week in and week out and week in and week out. He's got to rise to the occasion, and he's got to be that tight end we traded for. Because right now, honestly, guys, the Saints got the better end of this deal. No doubt in my mind, last year when, when uh, Jimmy Graham was in there before his injury, the Seahawks offense was sputtering, sputtering, sputtering. As soon as Jimmy Graham left, the offense opened up. They got a lot better. They were able to move the football, score points, and win football games. Jimmy Graham needs to score points. The offense needs to score points. Jimmy Graham's got to be a factor, and the Seahawks offense needs to win games, not just hang on and, and, and the defense win games. The Seahawks offense has to eventually take that next step, and Jimmy Graham's a big part of that. Paul? Yeah, I, I think they did that, and uh, we got some bad news, guys, coming out of uh, Toronto. Uh, pinch hitter uh, Kumsasu, or whatever the hell his name is, uh, two-run shot to take the lead, top of the ninth uh, with one out. Uh, Orioles are up now 3-2. to two. Uh, Cleveland is also down uh, six to three to the Tigers uh, with a three-run shot from uh, Cabrera. Thanks, Cabrera. Uh, and uh, we are uh, now uh, sitting in a situation where we don't know what's going to happen. So this is why every game does matter. You're absolutely right. Um, okay, look, it's uh, I, I disagree with you very obviously lovingly. I, I, I disagree lovingly, uh, but. Sure. Sure. I think that I think that Jimmy Graham. Part of the problem with with how that team was evolving last year is I think it was just the the the, the Marshawn Lynch hangover. We, no, they it was like they no one knew how to address it, how to deal with it. And when they when they finally had him injured, and then of course we saw what happened when the offense took off in the middle of the season. I, I kind of felt like that was happening last week. I know it's the 49ers and they're pretty much you know, bucks, but the fact of the matter is, is that Russell is a guy who, who likes to spread the ball around. You know, he, he, he doesn't matter. He's not going to focus on one guy, even though it seems like uh, with, uh, uh, with Doug, he, he finds Doug a lot of the time, but Doug sure does make it work. Uh, I think that, I think that he has a, a connection with, with, uh, with Jimmy. And I do feel like in time, it's all going to work out and it's going to be better off. We're going to be better off for it. And I think that might be with the fact that we have kind of a no-name running game going on right now. I think that is a large piece of this. Nobody, including the fans, worries about who gets the ball. They just, you know, it, I don't think any of us care about that. We just want them to do well, right? And that's right. a situation that could only be beneficial because now the egos are out the door uh, and we can just get after it. And who, who, I mean, geez, Christine Michael, I don't care. It, Thomas Rawls, when you come back, get it done i don't care uh and and that kind of goes back to the cj spiller deal i think the cj spiller deal is a positive thing for us i think he's perfect for especially to match up with the jets because the jets are so good up front 
you're going to see a lot of third down situations where you're going to be better off potentially, you know, dumping balls off to the, to the wide receivers. And I think that's part of the reason they made this deal. It wasn't that they didn't like Alex Collins. It's that they need that, that third down back that can be a scat guy who's good in space. And that's what CJ Spiller is. Well, for me, and let me say this, Barry, I I really want you to echo on this whole thing. I mean, for me, I don't like Alex Collins. I just don't like him at all. For me, he reminds me a lot of like Julius Jones. I mean, like, you know, people talk about beast mode and his comparisons about baby beast mode and whatever he is. But I mean, like for me, Alex Collins is easy to tackle. He just seems like a guy that just goes down. He, he, you know, he doesn't run for the sidelines, a la Sean, Sean Alexander. But if I look at what's going on with, like, you know, you know, Alex Collins, I mean, he's just very easy to get down, you know, as opposed to Rawls, which Rawls is not healthy or, or even a beast mode. You're looking at a guy like Alex Collins, like, you know, he's been a major disappointment. I mean, because you were expecting way more than, 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 than what on the surface. I mean, unfortunately, I just think that Alex Collins – to me, it's just he is going to be out of the league in about two or three years. He just reminds me a lot of Trent Richardson. I'm sorry. I apologize. But I, I'm just going to say that. I don't know why you're apologizing. Uh, there's really no reason to apologize. I mean, Alex Collins, again, he's a young young guy. Um, I, I, he hasn't had enough experience for me to, to really say whether he's a bust good in the NFL or not. I mean, Christian Michael, we saw – this guy come on the scene a few years ago, and he wasn't very good, fumbling football everywhere. Uh, and now he's a guy that we're relying on, and we're seeing is turning the corner and has grown up a lot. You know, so you can't really make that you know assumption with 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 Collins yet. Um, and and maybe you know he busts out, maybe he just fizzles, and he never is you know that type of a player um, that the Seahawks envisioned. And that's just that's on them, uh, or excuse me, that's on him, not the organization. Um, but I just I feel like Seattle has has an opportunity. I feel I also kind of feel like they're a little muddled. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, uh, but there really to me isn't that big of an identity uh, with this organization. I'm trying to figure out which way they're they're headed. I mean, obviously there's the defensive side of it, uh, and and that's always really really good. But the offense still there's no identity there, and I really feel like they opened it up against San Francisco. I'm hoping they continue to do that against the Jets this week. Um, but, you know, I've got to be able to see what they're going to be able to do over the course, you know, especially going in, you say, okay, four weeks in, this is what we have. What adjustments do you make on the bye week? Get guys healthy, and then you move forward, you know, from there. Um, but, you know, you talk about more I've sat here and thought about the C.J. Spiller signing, I, I really do think it could be a positive. Pete Carroll seems to get the, a, a lot and the most out of guys. Uh, even guys that many people don't think has what it takes or might be washed up or have jumped from team to team. Uh, there's something special uh, once Pete Carroll and, and this gets his hands on them and they become a part of this environment. Does C.J. Spiller rise up and become that next player that does that? Time will tell, but he's got a golden opportunity with Thomas Rawls being out uh, for the next five to eight weeks. Uh, this is a great opportunity uh, for C.J. Spiller to, to resurrect his career and no better place to do that than in front of the 12th man in the great Pacific Northwest. You're right about that. You're, you're dead on about that. And my next question to you, Barry, what happened with the Cardinals last week? What happened with them losing to the Bills? I, I, again, I, predict, I predicted this, you know, a month ago. I just don't think the Cardinals really have what it takes to really make a run. I, 
I think right now you're seeing them lose, <clears throat> especially <clears throat> they have a great, great defense. They, I love their defense. Don't get me wrong. But, Barry, I mean, Carson Palmer, to me, it just he seems to be – the league has him figured out. I just don't – I don't think that they're going to really make a deep run this year. I think the Cardinals are a good football team, and I'm not going to take anything away from them. They're a division rival. Uh, we're going to see that they play Seattle really tough, just like the L.A. Rams play Seattle tough year in and year out. Um, but at the same time, let's be honest, uh, I think a lot of people have overlooked the Buffalo Bills, especially two weeks into the season. They were off uh, really the struggle bus. Rex Ryan already on the hot seat. Uh, You've got to realize teams are still kind of getting their sea legs underneath them, um, you know, by the end of week two, playing real games that actually count, uh, not playing against, you know, weak, weak uh, comp- competition uh, in the preseason. I think the Bills – showed the type of team that they can be. I think it helped Buffalo that Buffalo was at home. Um, but I, I think Buffalo's a lot better than what people give them credit for, especially on the defensive side of the football. Um, maybe offensively they've got some, some you know, ways to go, Tyrod Taylor, things like that. But that defense is so good in Buffalo, and they have a chance to even look. they got a defensive-minded coach in Rex Ryan uh, already on the hot seat. It doesn't take much. Your players – Rex Ryan, players like to play for Rex Ryan. And so players are going to step up, and they stepped up against a good Arizona Cardinals football team, and they were able to win that game convincingly. I'm not surprised that they won the football game. Uh, I did expect a, a, a bit more of a fight from Arizona, um, but I think Arizona's dealing with some distraction. I think there's some questions about Larry Fitzgerald and his role in that offense. And you see Carson Palmer throwing to him a lot to keep him involved and engaged in that offense because I think there's a lot of questions that surround it. Michael Floyd's on my fantasy team, and he's done diddly poo for me all year long. He's done nothing. A lot of the ball's going to Larry Fitzgerald. A lot of people questioning, you know, this guy's going to step up, John Roberts, Michael Floyd. What's going on with, a, with a, uh, you know, a Larry Fitzgerald? Is he the same type of player? And so I think Carson Palmer's really force-feeding him a lot, and I think that's a lot of the problem that I've seen with the Cardinals. You ask what's wrong with the Cardinals, I don't feel like Carson Palmer has thrown the football and spread the football around to enough guys on that football team to make that offense go the way that it should be able to go. So so let me say this before Paul jumps in. I mean, I think that that, that, that playoff massacre they got got into last year with with what happened to uh, errors. I mean, like Carolina basically just destroyed them. And Carson Palmer threw for so many picks. I mean, there's a psyche in the NFL. I mean, like, basically, it, it is what it is when, when you look at teams. For me, I, I think Carson Palmer, I mean, like, he's just as good as what he is. And, and Barry, I'll let you go ahead and lead off that and, of course, Paul. But I think looking at look at what, what that team is, and they have a great, great team. I, really, I agree with you. They have a really good team, uh, Barry. But I think right now – when you go into like the NFC playoffs right now, you're not going to withstand, you know, I mean, the pressure of what's going on with, I mean, Carson Palmer's never been able to win the big game, even back to Cincinnati, but I just look at it right now. For me, the, the most concerning thing is, is that psyche from that last playoff spot that they were in last year. I mean, it, it carries on and, you know, mentally, I mean, the NFL for me, we're looking at 60% like mentally for this whole thing. And I think Carson Palmer is just not the right guy for this team. You know, they, they've got the pieces around him, but I think he's going to make 
big mistakes, and I saw that in that Buffalo game and in that first game against Arizona. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, not Arizona, but uh, New England, excuse me. But, you know, I, I think they're in a lot of trouble. I, I They have a big schedule coming up, especially in their conference. I think I think the Rams can play them really well. I think Seattle, Seattle can play them really well as well. Barry, I mean, tell me right now, I mean, do you see them going on a run like they did last year? I just don't see it. I'm sorry. That's tough. Uh, that, that's, that's a tough call. This team is not playing, and it's optimal right now. They're playing basically 180 degrees different from where – uh, they played during the regular season a year ago. But I still feel like they've got the same cast of characters and the same types of players, and I feel like they could still make that run. Um, they're a veteran football team. They've got a great head coach um, that I feel like could get them prepared and ready to go as long as he doesn't lose that locker room. So, yes, I think that they can make another run, but they're going to have to, to, to win some games. They're going to have to do so in convincing fashion to convince themselves. Um, I don't think they're a terrible football team. I, have the, I still think that they can win – uh, easily, you know, 11 games uh, this year. I think they really could still win 11 games this year and be a factor in the NFC West. Um, you know, and you're right. I think the Rams. I think the Rams are going to sneak up on a lot of people right now. I really think that they are. I love their defense. I think they have arguably the best defensive front in football. Um, you know, I think just this team continuously gets better and better on the defensive side of things. Uh, in speaking about the Rams. So I think that they're going to sneak up on some people this year because they're always supposed to take that next step and they haven't been able to do that. The Cardinals, I think they still have the ability to go on a run. Carson Palmer is a veteran quarterback. He may be a year older, but I still think he's be able to lead this team. And they're going to be a factor come December. I'd be very surprised if the Cardinals weren't in the race at some point come December. And then you have to look at Bruce Arians and say, is this the right guy for the job? Or do you have to just dismantle things because Larry Fitzgerald's getting older, Carson Palmer's getting older. Uh, what do they have as a backup plan in Arizona? What happens if Carson Palmer gets hurt? That seems to happen every single year. So there's a question for the Cardinals. Who's going to be their quarterback at that point in time? They don't have one. So, um, you know, it becomes one of those situations for Arizona that you better hope that the cast of characters you start the season with, you're able to finish the season with. Right now they're one and two. And I'm surprised by that. I really figured that they would come out and play a lot better to start the season. But you're right. They're one and two. There is positive concern, but I think this team still a veteran team, a good football team. uh, And they're tough to beat at home guys. They're very tough to beat uh, down there at the, at the big uh, Eggo waffle coaster thing, whatever it is. Uh, They're very difficult to beat there. So, um, I still think that they have the opportunity um, to go on a run because they've got a lot of home games left to go, obviously. All right, Paul. I got to it's sorry. First of all, I had to, had to hit the head, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> look, I, I actually think the Cardinals are the, of all the, the very good teams in the NFL talent roster wise, they are what I would call the least resilient team. And we saw that in that, that Carolina game, but you've also seen it in other games where, where really the wheels have come off for them. The, the, Mar- the Seahawks, when the wheels come off, they always are able to fight their way back. It's like they look at each other in the mirror or look at themselves and say, look, you know, this isn't us, and we're not going to stand for it any longer. And they make a turn. They always come back. You know, you saw it in the Carolina game last year. That's just, that was, that, you don't see that in the NFL. 
But the but the Cardinals are the least of any resilience. If things aren't going well for them, it just seems like everything spins out of control, and and they they get blown out of games against teams that you really would question it against. Uh, I think the the fact is is that what I what we saw happen against the Bills, and for some of us with red zone, you know, obviously got to see a lot of it. You know, they looked horrible. I mean, it, it wasn't just the fact that, uh, you know, talking about Larry Fitzgerald and, and Carson Palmer throwing picks, that seemed like on every other ball. But there, there was no one open. You know, uh, the running game was kind of hit and miss. The, the defensive line of the Bills was getting a, a penetration nonstop. Their hands were all over uh, Palmer the entire game. I just, I got to tell you, I think they're a good, talented team, all right? They got a lot of, they got some superstars. But the fact is, and again, I'm not giving Arian, even though Arians is a is a is a cock, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw this at him like it's all on Bruce Arians. I think the the fact that Carson Palmer is aging the way he is, he's he's up there. I, I just think that they're not a team that's mentally strong enough yet. They really haven't found out who they are, even though they 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 showed a lot yet last year. I, I truly don't think they're going to. I think they're going to be a team that's going to miss the playoffs this year. And I think actually both Tim and I talked about this before the season started that uh, the cards are going to be the big surprise that they're just not going to be what they were not even close to what they were last year. Um, the Rams are just, you know, it seems like we're the only team that they seem to have the, our number, the number of, but they did look pretty special against the bucks, especially in Tampa Bay this last weekend and uh, kind of beating them out of the building. They did give up points. So, you know, the defense and what we cut, we talk about what it is, you know, their offense is pathetic, but their defense is their whole game. So can they win a lot of games, 10, 10, 11 games this year with just that defense? Personally, I don't think so. I still think they're an 8-8 eight eight team. So, again, it comes back to the Seahawks are pretty much the perennial power of the West. They're, they're well-rounded. They, they have it on both sides of the ball, and they've got tons and tons and tons of experience. So – um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I just, I'm not, even though the, the, what's happened so far, the one and two, two and one starts for those two teams, I'm still, uh, I think I know who they are and I don't think they're very good. Well, and last but not least, Barry, I know you have to go and I really appreciate your time. It's really, really, I mean, like Paul and I really, we just appreciate that, but Carolina right now, Carolina going in one and two with their stance too. I mean, Carolina, their problem is with Kelvin Benjamin back. I mean, like, again, the NFL, They again, teams watch tape. And the thing with Seahawks, I mean, they, they adjust, and that's the great thing about the Seahawks. They just adjust to what's going on with what, what, what their organization is. But Carolina right now, they're, they're in trouble because Atlanta's a hot team. And, Barry, just look at what's going on with Carolina. Just in your mind, why they are 1-2 right now. And Cam Newton, to me, looks like he's – not pedestrian, but he looks like a guy that just, you know, he's he's a good quarterback, but not a great quarterback right now. Yeah, Super Bowl hangover for the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton. I mean, that's the answer that he threw uh, after the Super Bowl. Uh, and then, of course, coming into this year, he gets Kelvin Benjamin back, and you see Cam Newton wanting to four-speed the football to Kelvin Benjamin a lot. It was his favorite target. And last year when Kelvin Benjamin went down uh, in the preseason, I think it was preseason week number one, he didn't have any other option but to spread the football around and trust what was around him. And I don't know if Cam Newton really, truly trusts what's around him in Carolina right now. Um, I am not a Cam Newton fan. I think he's a big baby in the NFL, truthfully. 
Um, but I think uh, he has the opportunity right now against, yeah, Atlanta's playing really, really, you know, well, you know, they, but at the same time, I still think Carolina's going to win this football game. Uh, but Cam Newton's got to get to trusting his players and realize that there's more than just a Kelvin Benjamin that's out there on the field. Um, but, again, Cam Newton, I just don't ever have – I've never believed Cam Newton is that great of a quarterback. He's got a dynamic arm. Uh, he can run the football and run the daylights out of the football. There's no doubt about that, but I don't think Cam Newton is cream of the crop, one of the best. That defense last year for Carolina was lights out. Uh, it was very, very good. Uh, and Cam Newton, while he put up a lot of points and he threw the football a ton, uh, I just don't feel that Cam Newton is that type of a quarterback. I don't think he's elite status. Um, but he's a very good quarterback, but I don't think he's elite status. I think he thinks he's better than he is. Uh, but Cam Newton's got to get to throwing the football around the field like he did. He's got to create more options uh, for himself. Uh, and he's got to have better field vision. That's something that I've seen that he has lacked, and then his field vision. He, doesn't, he hasn't seen the football or seen the field very well, and that's dating back to his, at the Super Bowl against a very good Denver <coughs> Broncos team and that defense when it looked like he was a deer in the headlights the entire football game. Uh, they're, they're, the, the Panthers are uh, an enigma. <laughs> Uh, they they still are very talented. They're very talented on the defensive side of the ball. They're they're still very talented on the on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I I as much as I don't like necessarily the antics of Cam Newton, I do think he is uh, he has progressed a long ways uh, for just the last few years. I think he's I think he's a guy that can carry this team. I think the losses, um, the, you know, mm, God I. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe the loss of Jonathan Stewart is is a bigger, and amazingly, is a bigger impact on that running game and maybe the overall offense than we <clears> expected because they, they the way they struggled last week, uh, and uh, and look, they I think we all agree they should have won that game in Denver. I mean, honestly, they should have won that game. They were clearly the better team on the field, and it just seemed like all of a sudden they lost. That's that's kind of how I saw it, um, but. The fact is, is that they um, they got blown out last week because, in, in my opinion, you know Jonathan Stewart wasn't around, and I think that he might be more of an impactful part of that running game, which opens up everything else mm-hmm. for them than we anticipated. And you know, Payne and and Fozzie Whitaker are, are two guys that I think aren't going to get it done for him, uh, and and therefore I think that's probably what the issue is. Now, how long Jonathan Stewart's going to be out, I don't know, uh, but he is definitely not going to be in there this week. And so you're looking at a scenario where they're going to lose probably a couple of games. I think they're going to be definitely in the conversation at the end of the year. But yeah, I think I think it might the, the problem there might just be Jonathan Stewart. <clears throat> All right, guys, we have final rants tonight, and uh, right now is our final rants. Uh, you guys have an open table right now. I'll I'll close it out last, but uh, we're closing the show at seven thirty tonight, which is ten thirty. Uh, Eastern time tonight. You guys go ahead and get, give your final rants tonight. Barry, go ahead and start first. Uh, first uh, first uh, thing that I want to mention real quickly, uh, the Jose Fernandez uh, thing. Talk about a, 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 a kick to the gut. Uh, as big of a baseball fan as I am, this kid was fun to watch. Uh, his love of the game uh, was unbelievable. When he would pitch against the Mariners only a couple of times, uh, that I can recall that he did. He was fun to watch. Uh, very sad to see him go. 
um, at such a young, young age. Uh, and I just, I'm still at a loss for words. I cried a lot when I found out he died. This is a guy that, that wasn't even on our team. And, that, and I think what I've learned from that, uh, that moment is you've got you to gotta hold everybody a little closer and tell people that are close to you that you love them a little bit more. It sounds like he, this kid uh, was quite upset with something, which is why he was out so late. Um, I don't know the entire circumstance of what happened. We're talking about a tragedy, not only for Miami Marlins, um, uh, but for all of Major League Baseball. This is a huge loss and one that will reverberate for a very, very long time uh, within the league. Uh, second of all, guys, I, I'm excited to announce um, that uh, Sarah and I are um, going to be uh, signing our contract and putting our deposit down for our wedding day. Um, as of tomorrow, uh, we are going to get married on uh, Friday, June 16th at a place called Bella Fiori. Uh, it's a garden out uh, towards Finley out here in eastern Washington. It's beautiful. Uh, it's, gonna, it's got uh, 210 rose bushes. Uh, it's got uh, just lights everywhere. It's got twink over 200,000 twinkle lights. Um, it's one of the most beautiful settings I have ever seen, and I cannot wait to marry the woman that I am madly in love with. So I'm very excited about and looking forward to, uh, to uh, putting things down, uh, making our deposits, and making things even more official. Guys, there's 261 days until this guy here is a married man. Ooh. Well, I, I think Tim and I appreciate the save the date. Uh, that was really nice of you to give us the save the date right now. So uh, thank you. Um, I'll, 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 I'll be a little selfish and I'll, I'll talk about me. Yeah. Paul, the Paul Beyer project, the Paul project. Uh, and, uh, I, I gotta tell everybody that yes, I did survive obviously the swim across Lake Washington. Uh, my 1.4 mile, uh, straight line turned into roughly two miles, uh, at the end of the day, because, because I wasn't necessarily going in a straight line. There was a lot of, uh, ups and downs. that was awesome. It was pretty crazy looking that map, the old GPS map, uh, but uh, tons of video on it. I got the thing, everything put up on the YouTube page, uh, the Paul Project, number one, as well as on Facebook. Uh, if you don't follow me, you can follow the page. Uh, it's uh, the Paul Project uh, with the number one, and there's a kind of a comic booky a black and white picture of me uh, giving everyone the, uh, the rock on uh, <clears throat> horns, horns to the sky, irons up, as Iron Maiden would say. And uh, I just think, first of all, let me thank everybody out there uh, that, that supported me in all this. And it's, it's not a journey that's, that's over by any stretch. Uh, I, uh, I am working every day to, to be better uh, than I was. And uh, uh, it's it just, it's just a, you know, I look at everything. Everything's just what's the next thing I got to do for me. And, you know, I'm dealing with the pain that I deal with. Uh, that's, that's all part of this. But uh, swimming across that lake, you know, it's not something you can think of uh, a lot of people would do. Because uh, it's just like, I, I can't imagine swimming that far, but it's, it's really not as far as you think. I'm going to downplay it a little bit. But when you weigh over 400 pounds, yeah, it's, it's kind of a Herculean, uh, 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 you know, uh, task. And, and uh, I'm really happy with myself. I'm proud of myself. Uh, I know a lot of people said the same thing, uh, but there's a lot more to do. And the next thing I'm working on is, is what I got to do in the next three months before the end of the year, because I got to come up with something else something even crazier than swimming across a large, large lake. Uh, but uh, I'll do that the next uh, week or two and obviously let everyone know. But uh, thanks again for all the, all the support with the Paul Project. And, and uh, like I say, it, it rolls on. 
It does, man. And I'm so proud of you. And I, I love you, Paul. I, I just, for me, I, I'm so proud of you and, and your progress. And, and Barry, I can speak for Barry how much we are so proud of you for everything you've done and just what you've been able to do. Um, you know, that was part of my final rant tonight sure. was, 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 was just how much I'm proud of you. And just, uh, again, my, my heart is fulfilled because what you're doing is just, it was great, but you know, it, it is great. Just keep going, man. I mean, just keep doing your thing, man. I mean, so proud of you and just your progress, but, uh, for me, I, I've got, you know, you know, Barry, I talked to Barry about this and Barry, Barry's one of my best friends. And I love him with all, you know, all my heart, but for me, um, you know, I just got over something pretty di- difficult. I mean, I just, I got over like, you know, I, I, uh, I'm ju- I just getting my license back and I just got a lot of different things going on with, with, with my life and I'm getting my life back together. And for me, um, I, I, I moved out of really a bad environment and now, you know, I'm just getting back into a good one. And for me just to, to do this show and to be positive to what everything's going on, you know, I, I, I appreciate you guys being there. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was, I, I was facing some jail time, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be transparent with both of you guys about this because I mean, like for me, you know, I, I got to be honest with you guys, and, and and for me to get out of it and and to face a minimal fine with things and just you know move on and and life is going good. And just for me, God is good. You know, my my supporting cast with you and 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 Barry and you know it, it just reminds me how lucky I am, and I love you both, and 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 it just it, it's incredible. So. Um, you know, I just want to thank you both for, for supporting me through this whole thing. And, and, you know, I want to thank our listeners and everybody. So. Ditto. Uh, God, God bless you. And just, just keep fighting. That's all I do. I I just keep fighting. I know Barry does. I don't even know what kind of fighting Barry does in the morning just to get up to go to work because I couldn't fight. That's right. That is, that is ultimate Ninja warrior stuff. I, you know, I watched that TV show and I'm like, they had nothing on me crawling my fat ass out of bed uh, to go to work. Tough, man. It's tough. Hey, you get in the worst mood and then all of a sudden this camera turns on. You got to be like on it. It's weird. Or as I say, good night, good night, Canada. (laughs) Good night, Canada and everything. But, I want to thank everybody for listening to us tonight. You guys have a great night. And, of course, Mr. Paul Barry, follow him at, follow him at P. Bizzle. And, of course, Mr. Barry Roy, you can follow him at uh, the Barry Roy. Am I right, Barry, or am I wrong on, on Twitter? Man, I don't even remember what my – oh, I think it's Barry Roy Radio, I think is what it is on Twitter. Yeah, that's my Barry Roy account. Radio. Yeah, yes, that's it. Gotcha. So follow them, and, of course – Please do listen in to next week. You guys have a great night. And Paul, please out to you. Good night, Canada. You guys have a great night. <laughs> good night, Canada. All right. Good night, guys. Take care.